Yes, and good morning to you. I am so glad that you have come to worship the risen Lord uh, here at DBC. Just think about all across Harrisburg and Sling County and Illinois, United States, in fact, around the world. There are believers in Jesus Christ gathering together to celebrate the fact that he lives. And that really is just incredible. So thank you for enjoying, uh, to, for joining us today. We are glad that you are here. We really are. And I'd like to share a great story from the Word of God with you today. Uh, perhaps you can tell from the title, The Prodigals. We're going to talk about the story of the prodigal son, but maybe just a few things perhaps that you've never learned or never heard um, before. The sermon title, of course, is Dead Men Walking. And you know, the Bible says that, that all of us are born dead in our trespasses and sin. The, the saying, dead man walking, comes from a movie back in the 1990s or 80s, I believe. But it's hung around all this time and describes a person who is leaving their cell and going to their place of execution. Dead men walking. Unless the gunner steps in, unless something happens, they are dead men walking. But it came to mean recently, though, oh, in the last five or six years, much more than that, it means a state of hopelessness. Um, people who have lost their job are called dead men walking. Perhaps if you've gone through the horrors of a divorce and unfaithfulness and broken hearts of that, you know about that. Dead men walking. In this crazy world that we have gone through, in 2020, uh, just two years ago, this would have happened and did not happen. And, and we, were, we were like a society that was totally shut down. It was dead men walking. We went through the, the surprises and, and all the twists and turns of a crazy election and election year. Dead men walking. And even now, the economy is so messed up. There's a country that's literally being destroyed called Ukraine uh, by a power stronger than them. Dead men walking. And it would be easy to say in this world that we live in, it's such a hopeless state. Dead men Walking, But notice it's not singular, it is plural, and it's not plural because all of us are dead that have not trusted Christ, are dead in our trespasses and sin. No, 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 it's bigger than that because there was a man. And there was a man who walked to his place. <laughs> there was a man who walked to his place of execution. And they hung him on a cross, and he bled, and he died. And some friends carried him to a tomb that he was allowed to use as long as he needed it, which we know to be three days. And they buried him. And on the third day, he came back to life. And a dead man walks still today. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the hope of all the world. So if you're here today and your world looks pretty crazy, pretty upside down, perhaps you're here today and, and you would say, you know, I feel like a dead man walking. I feel like no matter what I do, there seems to be no hope. I want you to know that there is hope today. Let's look at our first teaching point. The first teaching point says it all. The song is right. Do you hear the song? Don't you love that song? Do you feel the world is broken? Let me bring that down to you closer. Do you feel like your world is broken? Again, whether it's a, a broken marriage or, or parents that just don't get it right, it seems, no matter what, you know, what it seems like. Do you feel your world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepening? Do you, do you look at culture today, especially here in, in the United States, and it just seems to get darker and darker and darker? And right when it seems like nothing else could get worse, it does. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepening? Well, the good news, listen, 
Yes, we are broken, but the good news is there really is good news. The good news is there really is good news. And so whether you're here today, and this is kind of a different thing for you, um, you know, you'll see Street and say, hey, let's go, and go to church. Whether you're here every week, it does not matter. I've got good news for you today. And that good news is called the hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just powerful. It's just so, so powerful. Now, now we're going to talk about a story today about a, a young man who lost hope. A man who lost his way. A man who walked away from a loving father and a loving home to seek his own way. Because simply, he was a dead man walking. But let me set it up for you. So, Jesus was teaching one day. And as he's teaching, some of the religious Pharisees um, show up. They did that a lot. The, the religious hierarchy would show up and, and challenge him and boo him and all those things. Well, they did that. Okay, And that particular day, apparently loud enough for Jesus to hear, they say smugly, This man welcomes sinners to eat with him. This man welcomes sinners and allows them, invites them to eat with him. To them it's the worst insult possible. But what they didn't know, they were exactly right. This this holy man, this righteous man, the, the most holy, the most righteous man ever to be on the face of the earth would invite sinners to eat with him. He welcomed them. And it was really crazy because you would think that the most righteous and holy man in the world would not want to be around sinners. And yet it's crazy, but he craved it. He craved it. He, he, called, he called Matthew, a tax collector, to be part of his inner circle. He took a woman you know, that, guilty of adultery and said, Look, I don't condemn you either. Now, now go and sin no more, but, but I don't condemn you. Or a woman at Samaritan well who had five husbands, and he challenges with her in a, in a kind way, but says, You know, the guy you're living with now is not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And on and on it goes. He was just comfortable with sinners. You know, you would, some of you would wrestle with Jesus. Because some of you would just be uncomfortable with the people he would befriend. Because you're uncomfortable with befriending those very same people. Yeah. Yeah. But here's what's really crazier than that. Not only did this holy, righteous man embrace and welcome sinners, they liked him. They liked him. It would seem a bad fit. It would seem like it wouldn't work. Uh, But here these sinners flocked to this man named Jesus. And the reason why is this in great intense love that he had for them. So to help the Pharisees, to help the Pharisees understand, he tells a couple of stories. Here they are saying, this man welcomes sinners and invites them to eat with him. So Jesus says, let me tell you a couple of stories. And so he tells a story. He says, there was a guy who had a hundred sheep. And one day, a sheep escaped from the pen. So the guy goes out and counts his sheep and realizes one of them is missing. So he leaves those in the pen, in the 99, and he goes out into the wilderness and he searches and he searches and he searches and he searches. Finally, he finds the sheep. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries them back into town. And I'm assuming puts the sheep back into the pen, but then he does something amazing. He calls all his friends. Hey, guys, you may have heard the rumor. I lost a sheep. I found him. Come and celebrate with me. And they had a party. 
And Jesus said this. That's just like God. It's just like a God. It's just like this God that where, where he has the 99 in the pen, but when one is found, there's a party in heaven. In fact, he said this. There's more celebration over that one who is found than the 99 that are in the pen. Wow. How about that? Then he tells another story. He tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins. It was probably her dowry. It could have been her safety net because there was no safety net for women in those days. But she loses a coin, 10% of her dowry, 10% of her safety net. So she begins searching the house, sweeping, looking for this small silver coin. And eventually she finds it. And you know what she did? She calls all her friends and said, Hey, you may have heard I lost my coin, but now I found it. Come celebrate with me. And Jesus said, That's just like God. Because he celebrates when a sinner comes home. He celebrates when a sinner comes home. And we should too. Maybe sometimes you feel like that lost sheep who is out there. And isn't it great to know that there is a shepherd, a God who's going to look for you. And he won't stop looking. He'll keep on looking. And, and perhaps you feel like the silver coin. And, and you know, you've been lost from your master. Isn't it great to know that someone's going to look for you and will not stop looking. That's just like God. So Jesus decides to tell one more story. And this is a story that we often call the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Now, it's interesting because the word prodigal carries a negative connotation. Nancy, would you throw that slide up, please? There we go. You know, we, we, we sit there and we think prodigal, we think negative, and that's half right. That's half right. But you'll notice I didn't put up here intentionally, I didn't put the prodigal, I put the prodigals. Because if you look this up in the dictionary, when you get home, you're going to find out something. That the first definition of the word prodigal is someone who lives recklessly. Reckless living. They go out and wantonly spend their, their money and party and all the... Everything, everything that you would think a prodigal did, that's in the definition. That's in the definition. Party city, party down. But we always stop reading with the first definition. Because the second definition is one who lavishly gives. Reckless living, yes, the prodigal. But the other prodigal is one who gives lavishly. And that's God. In this story, it's not just about a, a prodigal son. It's about a prodigal father who gives so lavishly. Who will do anything to see his son again. And I want you to know there is a God. And he is a prodigal God because he, shoot that thing, he did anything and everything for you to come home in relationship with him, including sending his son Jesus Christ to earth to live a perfect sinless life, including having him nailed to a Roman cross to suffer and bleed and die, including, as Paul said, to become sin, your sin on him, including his wrath, God's wrath being poured out on him, including him dying, including on the third day, defeating death forever. This prodigal father, this lavish father would do anything. So our story involves a father, a dad, 
a son, and really there are two sons. We're going to call about the other guy. You know, this was dead men walking. Yeah, next week is dead man whining. You want to come back for that one. You know, but there actually were two sons. But today, we're talking about a son. We're talking about a journey that the son takes. And spoiler alert, we talk about a reunion. And by the way, I'll tell you, next week doesn't have that good ending. Come back next week. Come back next week. So here's this father. And I know as a pastor, I've heard this priest 895,000 times. You know, and invariably, there's this presentation of the father almost sternly. That, that the, the father's rules were so stern that the son just couldn't stand it any longer. So he says, I've had enough. I'm running from my father. You don't see that in the text anywhere. In fact, I think Jesus intended the father represent God. And what a poor representation of God that would be. That he is a God of love. He, he's, he's a God of kindness. He, he's a God of generosity. He's a God who loves and cares. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of kindness. So there's this father. And then there's this son. He was the younger son of the two. And what he did was certainly out of character. Culturally, it was wrong. But he goes to the father, and, and again, I've heard preachers preach this, and it sounds really good, and it may be true, but, but he goes to his father and basically says, Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not dead, can I have what I got coming to me? I'm not sure. I'm, I think I might be pushing it. I think the boy said, Dad, you know, I know I'm entitled to some of the estate. I'd like to go ahead and live. Um, would you mind giving me my... Inheritance. So he would have gotten a third, and the older brother got two thirds. That's just the way it worked. And then the father said, Sure, I'll do that. He didn't have to, but he did. And by the way, I think part of that, him doing it, was helping the son find his way back home when he leaves. So, anyway, so the father gives the boy a third, and he gives the older son the two thirds. And like the Bible says, shortly after that, he takes off. He leaves. And once again, was there some rebellion there? I promise you there was. But I think there may have been other things. You know, there may have been this thing with the older brother. You're going to see it next week. He really was a jerk. I have a stinking suspicion. No, it's more than suspicion. I have a real hard feeling he made life miserable for the younger son, for his younger brother. You'll see it next week. Come back. It's worth coming back for. You'll see that. So there's rebellion. There's probably an older boy uh, that was pushing him out of the house. And there were, there were a dozen other reasons. And you know what? If you're here today and you kind of walked away from God, you know, perhaps, perhaps you've never come home. Perhaps you've never experienced that. But maybe, maybe you and I both know you're not as close as you used to be. You, something has pushed you away from God. Something has pushed you away from God. And, and you're not as close to Him as you used to be. And maybe you're one of those ones who never called Him Father. But regardless, there's this great dad and this boy comes and says, Hey, I want what I've got coming to me. And he leaves. He takes off on a journey. A journey for which he was not prepared for. No one sent him to Dave Ramsey financial classes. He did not know about managing money. 
He was naive in the sense he had been under the tutage of his father. So he was naive. And when he got out in this culture, it was like a bunch of piranhas and they chewed him up. And it wasn't long before party after party, everything you can imagine. Those of you who lived through the 60s, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Party after party after party. And before long, the money's gone. The money's gone. And when the money left, so did the friends. I mean, all I had to do was pick up the phone and say, party my house Friday night. And they go, woohoo, we're in. And all of a sudden, hey, um, I haven't got anything left. Do you think I could spend a night at your house? Oh, no, dude. No, dude. No money, no friendship. No, dude, sorry. It's not going to happen. So he was broke. He was alone. And no one helped him. So finally, days after it seems, according to what Jesus tells in the story, a famine came on the land. COVID came. Broken culture came. You, you pick it out in your brain, whatever it was that would rattle your world and shake your world and turn your world upside down. It came. He had no food. He had no friends. He had no family. He had no money. So he goes and finds a job. And we could talk about how he's a young Jewish boy and the job he found was totally crazy, but the whole story's crazy. So he goes and gets a job, and the job is caring for pigs. And again, for a Jewish boy, that would be like totally weird. And so his job is, is to feed these pigs. So he begins doing that. Every day he'd walk out, sit by the pig farm, and he would throw in. And what he was feeding them were carob pods, they were seed pods, most likely rotten seed pods. So he's sitting there chunking these, chunking these seed pods into the, into the place where the pigs were. And then he eats one. It tastes horrible. He eats another and another. Because he knows something. If he doesn't eat, he's going to die. So he's sitting there you know, doing the one for me and one for you thing with the pigs, eating the rotten food, and that's when our scriptures kick in. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe right now in your life, and you know it, only you know it, but maybe you think, you're, you know what, I can identify with that because the place I am at right now, it's a train wreck. Again, I've lost my integrity. I've lost my character. I've lost respect of my kids. I've lost my husband. I've lost my wife. I've lost my job. I've lost my career. I've lost everything that ever mattered to me. Maybe you're there right now. And what happened to him, boy, it'd be great if it happened to you. And, and the Bible simply says in Luke fifteen seventeen a he came to a census. He had a wake-up call. He had an aha moment. He's sitting there eating this pig food, and a thought just occurred to him. And then he said, let's go ahead and go over to 17b. Here was the thought that occurred to his brain. He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And... Here I am dying of hunger. See, there's a, there's a big good truth and a big hard truth. 
good truth is this. He comes to his senses and he thinks back to home. And all of a sudden, home doesn't sound quite so bad. Because he sits there and he says, you know what? How many of these guys that work for my dad are eating supper right now? And, and pig food is not on the menu. It may not be fillets. It may be something else. Like some of y'all would say grits. You know, what is it? And he has this moment. Now, do you want, let me help you. How many of his father's hired workers had more than enough? Let me tell you. Every one of them. Home was a place of provision. You forgot this. You remember God let you down. You remember God didn't come through. Your neighbor said God's not even real. You've learned it. Some teachers in school that will teach you some junk. And you found conclusion. Oh yeah, God's not really there. Yeah, he is. And when you come to your senses... You're going to realize how many of my father... You know, how, how was it when you prayed and you, you just felt there was a God listening? Or when you're, when you're in the hospital and you're about to die of something and you know there's a God there and you cry out and say, God, help me. And you realize there really was a God. How many of the hard workers? All of them. Home, God, is not as bad as you remember it. In fact, it's really good. That's the big truth. Whether this is your first time back in church in a while, uh, whether this is your time, first time talking about God in a while, I want you to remember this. Everybody ate at the dad's table. And that includes your God. He loves you. He loves you. Well, the second hard truth is this. I'm dying of hunger. It's not metaphorically speaking. He's not being funny. I mean... Have you ever, I have, have you ever said, I'm starving to death? He literally was. He was starving to death. And maybe you're, again, you're in that world today, and, and without God, you seem to be starving to death. Life is so empty. Life is so hopeless. You bought the toys. You, you've got the house. You've got the titles. You've got the, you know, at school, you've got your thing. But all of a sudden, you realize you're dying. You're so, you're so hungry. So our teaching point tells us this, that the prodigal son, the son, had his Dorothy moment. He had his Dorothy moment. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Even you gun guys have probably seen it on TV. You know, the tornado thing off the witch thing, the little people that, we're off the feet, the wizard, the all that, you know, all that going on. You know, and then finally Dorothy just comes to this conclusion. I want to go home. She realized home was good. And so the, the, the witchy person, the good witchy person said, oh, all you have to do is click your golden ruby slippers together, together and say, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. And boom, she ends up back at home. Well, the, the, the dude has his Dorothy moment. And it turns out there really not was no place like home. The train wreck at the end of the road? No. The loss of all the friends, the, the waste of all the money, the carnage of sin? No, there's no place like home. And what he left behind was much better than the mess he found at the end of the road. So he comes in, he comes to this conclusion, okay, and says this. I know what I'll do. Verse number 18. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. He came, he came to a point of decision. And maybe today you're here with God and you're saying, you know what? I need to come to a point of conclusion. And by the way, 
It doesn't need to be your mom and daddy's decision. It doesn't need to be the NBC or nightly news decision. It doesn't need to be the governmental decision. It needs to be yours. You need to stand up and say, I'm going to make my own decision about God. I will not let culture dictate. I will not let my neighbor dictate. I'm going to come to my own decision about God. He did. And here's what he said. I'll get up. And I'll go to my father. And I'm going to say, he's going to say three things. Two are right and one is not. Okay? The first thing he says is this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Needed to be said. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all messed up. The whole lot of us. So this needs to be said. I, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Needed to be said. He wasn't worthy to be a son. We're not worthy to be a son. But fortunately, because of Jesus Christ, he gave us his worthiness. You know, Paul wrote this great verse. I quoted it last week. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Holy moly. You know, Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. We're not worthy. You can't be worthy. You can do the religious dance all you want to. You, you can give all you want to. You can come to church all you want to. You can keep the rules all you, rules all you want to. You can, you can work all you want to. But it won't get you to heaven. It won't get you to heaven. I'm not worthy. We need to come to the conclusion to understand we're not worthy. God is not blessed because you choose to come to church or don't come to church. And then he says that he didn't quite get this. Make me like one of your hired servants. And the reason why is because he had a twisted view of his father. It may have been the, the, the older brother's fault, but he had a twisted view of the father. He could, there's, there's no way he'd be his arms around the fact that this father, after he left him and spent all of his money, and I mean messed up big time, would ever let him be a son again. What he didn't understand, he never stopped being a son. So the best, in his mind, the best he could hope for was to be a hired servant. Truth be known? <laughs> no, not in father's eyes, not in a million years. He was going to be a son. So he got up. And he went to his father. He gets up and goes home. He acts on the plan. And I'm hoping today someone either on Facebook, maybe on the radio, or maybe in this room will act on the plan. You'll hear that either A, you know, you've never had the, the privilege of calling God Father because you never messed with this. Jesus on a cross dying for your sins, resurrected the third day. If we'll turn our backs on our sin and follow him, we can have eternal life. You never messed with that. Or maybe you've just walked away from God recently. Maybe things got so messed up, you, you had to blame somebody. Maybe it was God. Maybe you just got out of the habit. I don't know. I don't know. But, but regardless, but regardless, he acted on a plan. He got up and he went to his father. So while he gets there, before he gets there, the Bible says in verse number, number and I find this incredible, the second part of verse 20, um, but while the son was still a long way off. So while the son, it sets it up and says, the son is a long way off. You ever wonder how far a long way off is? Well, I checked. It turns out, uh, I happen to be about, okay, 
I used to be 5'8". Truth be known, gravity's had an effect on me. And I don't think I am anymore. But the bottom line is, a five foot, when your eyes are five foot off the ground, and that's about right for me, I would guess. Five feet off the ground, and the ground is level, then the human eye and the curvature of the earth limits the vision to three miles. So if you're on flat ground, five feet, your eyes are five feet in the ground, you could spot something three miles away. So we probably know then that somewhere in that area, okay, while he was a long way off, his father saw him. Somebody say amen. You know what I want you to say amen for? Because that's incredible. You know why? The father was looking. See, that's what I want you to understand. The father's looking today. He's been looking for you. Whether, whether it's the first time home or whether it's back home again, whoo, the Father is looking for you. And He's been looking. And he's, he's been looking so intently that even though it's at the edge of vision, three miles out, He sees the Son. He sees the Son. And I love this. Can you imagine? I can just see it happening. You know, and apparently, apparently, apparently... It's, it's that the, the father apparently is looking every day. It didn't like he'd say, I'll do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He did it every day. That's the kind of father he was, and this is the kind of father he is. He's looking for you. I can imagine the older brother going out there. You know, he's a jerk, did I tell you that? I'm, did I tell you what we're going to talk about that next week? You, you ought to come back. So, so anyway, so, so yeah, so I can see the older brother coming out and say, Dad, why don't you give it up? Give it up, Dad. He's not coming home. Your favorite boy isn't coming back. Give it up, Dad. I can imagine the masters who loved the servants who loved their master saying, Master, I'm sorry, but he's not coming. He's not coming back. Master, I'm sorry. Come on in the house. Eat some breakfast. He's not coming. Well, guess what? He didn't quit. He didn't give up. And I want to know if you know something. God's not going to quit on you. God is not going to give up on you. This God I'm talking about today, the one who sent his son Jesus to die on a Roman cross for you, is going to keep on looking. And then, and then, and then, and then he sees him and was filled with compassion. There was no jealousy no bitterness, no anger, no sermons, no belittling. He was filled with compassion. I, this is so cool. See, I'm going to give you a biblical reason why if you're a man, you should not run. See, see where it says he ran? It was totally undignified for a man to run. So all you runners, undignified. Undignified. Okay, that's Eastern culture. But anyway, in Eastern culture, it was true. He ran. He did something that was so lavish. He did something that was so prodigal. He didn't wait for the boy. Shoot that thing. He ran after. He ran after the boy. God's running after you. God's running after you. He cares for you. He loves you. And when he gets there, he throws his arms around this boy. He kisses him. I I don't know what the son was expecting, given the fact that he all he thought he could ever be was a, a servant, but he wasn't expecting this. I mean, 
I promise you, there was not a time to stop at the Hotel 8 and get a shower. The stench of the pigs was all over him. The grime of sin was all over him. The, 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 the vomit from you know, three nights ago, last drunk, was still on him. He embraces him and kisses him. That's the God who's looking for you. That's the God who's looking for you. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, it says, But while we were still sinners, while we still had the drudge of sin on us, while we still had the vomit of the last drunk on us, while we still had our addictions, while, while we still had all our brokenness, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love for us by Christ dying on a cross. He put His arms around His neck and He kissed Him. So the boy went on to his speech in verse number 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. Some things just need to be said. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Some things need to be said. Maybe more appropriately, some things need to be prayed. I, I've sinned against you, Father. I'm not worthy to be your son. And what happens next is somewhere beyond credible. In verse number 22, it's almost like the father interrupts the son before he can get to the servant part because the father says something that's, well, it's amazing. In verse 22a, the father told his servants, he looks to the servants and says, quick, hasten, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now, this is so, trust me, the master teller, storyteller, is telling this part for a reason. Go out and get the very best robe we have and put it on him. Because what Jesus is illustrating for us is how that God's grace and mercy and Christ's righteousness has the ability to cover the drudge and, and, and the dirt and the filth of sin. Remember that verse again I said in 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21? You know, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the robe of righteousness or the, 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 uh, the righteousness of Christ. He put the robe of righteousness on the boy. The first thing he does is cover the drudge of sin. And the first thing God wants to do you, whether you're coming home for the first time or for, the, for a time away, he wants to cover you in his righteousness. The best robe. And the best robe is the robe of Christ. He then says... Put a ring on his finger. You know, he, he tells the boy the past is in the past. And he puts on the robe. But then he says, put a ring on his finger. These are what I call the terms of return. The term. Okay, son. Here's the deal. If you're going to come into my house, here's the rules. You can't do this and you can't do that. And if you do this again, you'll find yourself out on the ear. Do you see that anywhere in Scripture? You want to know what the terms of, of, of return were? There weren't any. There weren't any. Guess what the terms of your return is? Come home. Daddy's waiting for you. He wants to forgive your sin and wrap you in his robe of righteousness. And then, amazingly, what he says is, I want you to know, son, 
I believe in you. I know you messed up. I know the failures. I've heard the rumors that there were harlots involved. But I believe in you. You've come home. And to prove that, he tells the servant, put a ring on his finger. What kind of ring was that? Well, most of the theologians I've read, it can only mean one thing. It's the signet ring of the father. It's got the family crest on it. And he is not a servant. He is a son. And whoever, whoever wears the ring speaks for the father. So he says, I trust you, son. There are no terms. I trust you. You've come back home. Now you speak for me. No third time. Not three times in a row. Not keep the rules and maybe you're in. Here's the ring. And you speak for me. He didn't say you've got to prove yourself. Because truth be known, we can't prove ourselves. There would have been a cross if we could prove ourselves. No. He says, I trust you by grace and by love and by mercy and by kindness. Put the ring on him. And then there's a shoe thing. Some of y'all got a shoe fetish? Well, apparently the father did too. No, not really. Just kidding. I thought I'd get a little laugh there. Now, the deal is this. You know, see, servants didn't wear shoes. They went barefoot. And this is symbolically a way of saying, you are not a servant, you are a son. You're not my servant, you are my son. And then, and then, he says, let's get ready to eat. In verse number 23, Bring the fatted calf. Rich people had a fatted calf. They kept one on the hoof, if you will, ready to go so that when there was a reason for a party, the poor fellow was ready. They had one. And who knows, it may have been there for a certain occasion like my son coming home. Bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast what God wants to do for you. God's waiting to throw a party on your behalf. And here's the reason why. Verse 24. This son of mine was a dead man walking. This son of mine was a dead man walking. But today, he's alive. He's alive. He was lost And he's found. Now, when you're a dead man walking, in in God's eyes, when you're a dead man walking, and all of a sudden you're alive, and when you are lost, and you are found, there is only one one heavenly response, and that is they began to celebrate. There was a party in the Father's house. And I want you to know something. God wants to celebrate your coming home today. The whole thrust of this whole story was coming home. And that meant repentance. And it meant forgiveness. It meant turning from sin. It meant all of that. But Jesus is basically saying, whatever you've done, come home. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, let's tie it up with a little... Writing from Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And remember this. This is like describing God and you and us and all that. But God is so rich in mercy. 
I don't know what you think of God. You may say, when I think of God, mercy is not one of them. Kindness doesn't come to mind. Well, I'm just telling you, Paul said God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. Well, Dwayne, can you prove that? I already have. What we celebrated, what we observed on Good Friday. He loved you so much. How much? He sent his son Jesus intentionally to this earth. You know, the crucifixion was not a plan gone bad. It was not a murder. It was not a martyr. It was the plan of God before the foundation of the world so that people like you and me could be forgiven of our sins and come into relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. He loved us so much. And that even though we were dead, because originally we're all dead, we're born dead in trespasses and sins, He gave us life. How? When He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's not church. It's not religion. It's not keeping the rules. It's not do, 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 because it is done, done, done. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So today, we, as we draw and put a bow on this thing, Nancy, let's go and use that last teaching point. God is waiting for you to come home. I'm not being facetious or light with the word of God when I say he's waiting to throw you a party because according to Jesus, they do. They do. Jesus told this story to make one point and I preach this message for one point today and that is, never mind what you've done, just come home. I know God will receive you well. I know Jesus will receive you well. I know the Holy Spirit will receive you well. And we struggle with it sometimes, we Christians. But we will do our best to receive you well also. We would love for you to come and be a part of God's family and possibly a part of the Dorsville family if God leads you that way. So that's what this is all about. It's all about coming home. It's all about coming home. You know, when God made a way, when, when, when he died and when he resurrected, proving he was the son of God, it's like God, well, we know when the curtain was split in the temple, it's like God holding out the welcome sign. Welcome sign. Welcome home. Welcome home. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front here. And we call this like a decision time. And we're not have to embarrass anybody. This is a larger than normal crowd. Um, but, but the bottom line is we at least have some answers for you. You may have a lot. And so if you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ and what that meant, if you want to mess with that, okay, then we've got some answers for you. We'd be glad to share that. Or maybe, maybe you just want to come home. You, you know Jesus is Savior, but you also know you've kind of wandered away, and today you want to come home. And we want to open the altar up if, you, if, you know, if you'd like to make a decision here. If you want to just pray. Maybe you've got someone you love, and you know they're far away from God. And maybe you'd like to come and pray for them. Um, the altar's open for that purpose. Today we celebrate dead men walking. The one man who died and rose never to die again. And he inviting everyone else to join him. To join him. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for this privilege and honor of sharing this truth today. Father, it just excites me when I think about your grace and your mercy. I was so worthless, God. And I guess I still am by my standards. But my worthiness is not contingent upon Dwayne. It's contingent upon Jesus. And Jesus, you make us worthy. The Bible says so. 
you make us worthy. So if there's someone here today who needs to come home for the first time, help them find their way to you. I know you're looking for them. Help them to see you. Father, also for the ones who know you, but they've also, well, they need to come home too. Would you help them find their way home also? I am so grateful for the privilege of sharing this truth today and for this worship time together, my friends. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.